Oh, and first, congratulations. You know, you were officially fucking married, right? That's true. Yeah. yeah. I'm super yeah. excited. Yeah, it's pretty great. She's kind of the best person ever. <laughs> so Matt Strickland did the, uh, did the ceremony. It was yeah. pretty hilarious. Shut up. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I mean, it was pretty good. There's a lot of hockey input. For some reason, I don't know why there was. That so wasn't much. him. That was your cousin. That was me. <laughs> that was uh, you. Yeah, I told my cousin what, to read what, that. What was that? It uh, was the Herb Brooks miracle <laughs> speech. Yeah. I just changed <laughs> the words around. Yeah, it was pretty. So good. instead of Russians, it was like us. Yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's that's so great. All right, so it's like to keep it on the keep it on the dock and keep it like uh, so. Sure. We need to do conferences at some point, right? I just want to. I'm I'm saying this for me because okay. I forget. We like we do this, and then I'm like, oh, I forget what the ones we had that list going. I don't know if we ever added it to, but I think conferences should be relatively soon. Right? Yes, yeah, and I think we. Can- I'm either I'm either pro conferences very soon, or we wait until they're announced. Both ACSA and ADI announce their speaker speaker list. That way, we can talk about then. But we can do com- we can do a follow up then too. Well, and I think obviously we should touch on conferences a little bit when we talk about the organizations. Mm-hmm. Like we can just start running through the list of what's out there, what they do, our thoughts on them. One of the things that we can talk about, and I think that'd be beneficial is, and Colton, you have a little experience in this too, is like starting a guild. You know, what the fuck goes into starting a state guild? And the, of the ones that already have a state guild started up, we should talk about some of the, you know, some of the things they should do. Like make sure you're setting up as a nonprofit, a 501c6, I believe. Is that what you guys have in Tennessee? I have no idea what they are. <laughs> so I don't, gonna be the I don't do. Place. I don't deal with the you're guild like that much. Five zero one nine four. You know, actually, the the guild things definitely needs to touch on. I think it's like let's go through the organizations and then put guilds kind of in the end and talk about them. Yeah. yeah. Like at the state level, what your point is like, I don't know what it's like in Washington. When I was in Oregon with Chris at Beatty at Spiritopia, it was a big deal. I mean, that was yeah. A lot of those shows that the Oregon Distillers Guild put together. There's like Toast of Oregon, right? Like, they're a huge deal, right? And being part of that organization is, a, you need those resources. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits to it, and there's a lot of tie-ins for vendors, for startup distilleries, for established guys. It ties, ties into the lobbying. I mean, we might as well just get into it. We can talk about this, so it doesn't. It's not hard for Devin. Um, but essentially, in terms of distilling organizations, I mean, the big ones we all know of are the American Craft Spirits Association, the ACSA, ADI, the American Distilling Institute, Discus, which is Colton, this one? What is this one? Distilled, Distilled Spirits Council you of the United States. There you go. We were like trying to figure it out, and Colton's like, Brian will know. Yeah. I have I no say point that. You know, who's I should know that one. Ago. Wait, who is actually a member of Discus at the place that they work? <laughs> well, it's me. So, the answer is me. You know, we I used to be a member. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually a really good point. Disc- yeah. And also, I think Discus prefers to be called the council now. It's something weird. It's yeah. something weird. That's and super creepy. I know. Thank you. Like, <laughs> we are the council. Yeah. They have an emperor. It's so yeah. incredibly ominous. They sent out a huge press release to all the media people saying, hey, you need to now change how you address us. We are now the council. Yeah, search your feelings. You'll see oh. it to be true. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that kind of makes me like them more. Yeah. Yeah. If there's uh, like a, someone named Palpatine on the board, yeah. then I'm good. Right. So if I had to pick the big three, it's those three. And honestly, in terms of actual size, Discus, the council, they're the largest in terms of their influence because they have the most money. Which is interesting because 
smaller distilleries, craft guys can't technically be voting members. They can't be on the board. Um, essentially, my understanding of how, and I could be wrong on this. We may have to reach out to some of the people. Like I know Ted Huber was on the board for Discus, but he was a non-voting member because he was he was basically They're the chair. Twenty-two million proof gallons, proof gallons or whatever. Right, right. So Ted Huber was the chair of the Small Craft Distillers Guild Council or whatever they're calling it. I don't have the exact name in front of me on that. But essentially that's, if you want to join Discus, you can join it as a small distiller and there are benefits. You get information, feedback. They bring you out to things like, I know they take a lot of distillers and producers overseas to do a lot of the um, international trips. So if you want to export, that's great. But yeah, I, we, do, I, we do that you in Germany I, every year. So. Right. Hmm. Like it's, it's a bit, it's a huge event in um right and, and the council's either berlin i think or mm-hmm. they do berlin they've done portugal they've <laughs> done they've done i think they've done london they've done a lot of those trips and again the main goal is essentially to represent u.s spirits yeah and they do include a lot of the smaller craft guys because they have pretty good brand and recognition and you know even across overseas people like the smaller producers so that's a huge benefit again you just can't vote you're not a part of the board specifically well, that's kind of an important part, but yes, which is why there are two other associations. And but before I jump into that, Zeno, what do you think of Discus and you know the council? You're again, you're the only one who's technically has representation there. Yeah, I have representation there, but I think that the conversations they're having are not a part of the business that I fully understand. It just it's, it's <laughs> just such a larger scale, right? Like I'm you know I'm a technical guy, right? That's what I'm there. Believe it or not, I'm a technical guy, right? Right. So, like, it's the business aspect of it. They have people, like, that's their job, right? Like, in my organization, there are people, their job is to deal with discus and to go to the hill and lobby. That's, you know, they have people in their company that that's what they do. Yep. So, you can drink whatever you want, Colton. You can drink that Laphroaic. I had it last night. It's amazing. So, yeah, discus, although I will say this, too. Discus is probably one of the only reasons that the FET, the Federal Excise Tax Reduction, went through. Oh, sure. Yeah. Now, granted, they needed all the small producers. They needed the leverage, the goodwill, the job creation potential that a lot of the small producers had. If it wasn't for them, I don't think Discus would have had the leverage to get it passed. But again, the small producers without Discus would not have had the lobbying might. Not to say ACSA didn't do a lot of good, but they busted their ass. But they needed Discus, I think. Well, yeah, and that goes back to what I'm saying, right? They have people that are in the organization specifically for those kind of things, right? Yes. And it's an ongoing battle, which kind of ties in what the hell you're doing next week, right? Right. Like, and that's what, that's what Discus is. It's like, uh, I said it's the widening reaches because they have the biggest sword, right? Well, yeah. and the, the event next week is a combination of Discus and sure. ACSA, right? Right. Well, <laughs> that's a good point. I guess we should back up, too, for anyone listening who doesn't know specifically who are voting members of the council. It's... Companies like Diageo, Pernod Ricard. I mean, it's people of that caliber. Cream Fontori. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> big, big producers, the big brand owners. They are the funding and the people behind the council. And essentially what the council did is they're now working with ACSA, and they were before, and they've worked with ADI and a lot of the other smaller organizations. But next week in D.C., the primary goal is they're doing a fly-in, getting a bunch of producers, industry people out there to since the tax bill has already passed, but the big problem with it is it has a provision where it sunsets in two years. So it literally is only good for 2018, 2019. 
as of 2020, January 1st, the tax reduction disappears for everyone. That's small producers, big producers, and they all, no one wants to see that reduction go away. So they're getting together with ACSA, and they're bringing in as many people in as they can to try and lobby and push, and they've already set up a bunch of meetings. And my understanding of how they try and push this on the lobbying side is it's kind of multi-tiered. On the one hand, they have their lobbyists doing what lobbyists do, and that's ACSA's lobbyists plus all of Discus's team. And then they also set up kind of these, I guess you'd call them meet and greet parties, where producers are actually sending in their product, they'll put them out on tables, and they'll kind of pay for a party where not so much the senators and the representatives That's go to. That's my kind of lobbying. But the staff. Yeah, the right? staff it's their staffers. Right? Yeah. right. And Colton's been to one of those. And so it's the staffers. They come, they get introduced. There are a few actual representatives there, but not many. And the goal is to educate the staffers so they can go back and tell their people that they and then the last final piece of that is actually getting together groups of people in certain districts and going visiting those representatives, hopefully with a meeting set in place. For example, we're going to go meet with Ron Wyden, who's a big supporter of this. He's out of uh, Oregon, I believe. So we're going to go meet with him, plus I think half a dozen other senators, and people like that. So that's, that's the main goal of what's going on next week at the D.C. Forum. Yeah, and I mean, that, was, you know, we, that just ties into what we were talking about with Discus. Mm-hmm. And right, and ACSA, and I right. think kind of when you know when we we talked about you know going over these organizations, it's like, what's the benefit? What does it cost? And what the hell do they do? Right. So they do things like lobbying, clearly. Right. right? Yeah. So we've been over that. What the hell else? What? So if I'm a small distiller, if I'm you know starting up a distillery, even if I'm a mid-sized distillery, what's the benefit of me joining an ACSA or an ADI or even a discus, even though if I, I can't vote? Colton, do you want to dig in first and kind of go over the? kind of the, you know, the big picture differences between ACSA and ADI? Uh, yeah, well, so ACSA, I guess, is, well, let's start with ADI. It was more of the original. It was just the original sort of uh, craft distilling lobbying group where you got a bunch of craft distillers to come together and say, hey, this is our sort of trade organization for the industry. I think and that was, what, 15 years ago? Is that right? 15, 16 years ago? Yeah, I guess at it's least. really that old yeah. house that's more longer yeah. than I thought of. Yeah. The, the anecdote I've heard, I wasn't there, but the anecdote was there was something like 20 people in the room. The very first conference for ADI was essentially Bill Owens, 20 people, and they just brought folding chairs and sat down and talked about the industry. And it's grown exponentially since. Still the still same size vendor that's trade floor, fun. I assume. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, there was always like 200 <laughs> vendors. No. In Nashville, we had the Craft Brewers Conference last week. I didn't, I didn't do much of it, but I snuck into the, well, I, I went into the trade floor one day, uh, and compared to our little distillers trade floors, oh my God. Yeah. This thing was multiple floors. There was, I think they said in total there were 14,000 people there. So that sounds about right. Ours are generally a couple thousand to a thousand, maybe. ADI ADI is roughly, I think they said somewhere around 2000 attendees this year. I think that includes vendors and people they bring to the show as well. Um, It may have been more. They may have actually quoted more than that, but it was over 2000 and ACSA, which is the smaller organization, the younger one, they, I think they rocked in over a thousand, which is pretty damn good five years. So, yeah. So, you know, I guess 15, 14, 15 years ago, ADI or ADI started, and, you know, a bunch of, that was sort of the beginning of the craft distiller boom. Right. As it was. And then as that sort of grew, uh, a uh, an offshoot 
organization called American Craft Spirits Association, or ACSA, uh, sprung up where they were geared more towards, where ADI is geared towards sort of your initial starting craft distillery, where, hey, this is how you get grain contacts. This is, you know, where you where you find all your vendors for for everything i think acsa's initial thought was well hey now that we now that we have all this how do we how do we grow what's the next step we we have our grain supplier we have our still we have our mash ton we have all that how do we get into 50 states what's our next plan how do we move on from there right um and then and then on top of that i think acsa also went with the instead of the um, sort of mainline or mainstream, I don't know if mainstream is the right word, but structure of ADI where it's sort of a top-down ACSA is it's for the members. It's members vote for the board. It's member run. Right. And it's worth pointing out that ADI is a for-profit organization owned by an individual, and then ACSA is a nonprofit trade group made up of a board of directors that are, as Colton said, elected by the membership. Hmm. Um, not necessarily to get down on ADI by any means. I mean, Bill Owens, the owner of ADI, he's has done a lot. Yeah, he, yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> Everyone has a Bill story. Yeah. <laughs> but Bill, Bill has arguably done the most for craft distilling over these last 15 yeah. years of any individual sure. ever. Yeah. Uh, you may not always agree with his methods, but he... He really, really cares, and he really busted his ass for the industry, I think. Um, now, granted, what Colton said is ACSA was an offshoot. Essentially, they started with ADI. They were kind of made up of the board of... There's a board of advisors that Bill worked with, and they all worked together to try and create a nonprofit. In the end, my understanding is some of the negotiations broke down, essentially. A uh, key group of those advisors split off and started the nonprofit. So there hasn't been a lot of collaboration between the two groups over the last five years since ACSA, ACSA started five years ago, but I think things have warmed a little bit. And again, I don't want to get too much into the drama or dynamics of that, but yeah, I don't there think has we need been, to do that. No, that's yeah, that's not our place. And I think honestly, both groups have been respectful and are working towards a lot of the same goals. Because even though ACSA does a lot more of the lobbying. Um, because that's what they're geared towards. I think it's worth noting that ADI did start a lot of those efforts, or at least try to years ago with guys like Rafa Renzo when he was on the board there. You know, he was one of the very first voices to try and get the federal excise tax reduction going. Yeah. So, and I, they're all supporting the same things in just different ways. So what's the benefit? Why would I join one or both? Well, I mean, I would say that both of them just lobbied pretty hard to get all of us they did. quite a big tax relief bill you know discus was obviously a big part of that but in terms of the craft side discus wasn't really you know pushing for the that hundred thousand proof gallon you know uh, exemption that we have in there so and i mean i think there's an element too of being part of those organizations where you're keeping your finger on the pulse of the industry right like that's got to be one of the benefits like if you're not one of the a member, you can still keep your finger on the pulse, but it just then it's it's, it's that easier. much harder. Yeah, right. It's just easier. So it's like it's a it's a communication thing, right? Like how many people you run into and who you talk to and what's going on, and the newsletters that come out and right what you can get involved in at, at the local or even you know going to DC. Like there's all kinds of things. You I can mean, do. they they represent our community, and if you don't want to be 
you know, it's it's really important to be a part of our community. It's a small community, and if you aren't a part of it, you're less likely to. I have people who come through the distillery on tours or whatever, and I'm much more likely to tell them about distilleries that I work with through the ACSA than than I am with people I've just you know heard of and don't if, really know that much about because they're not part of it. Yeah, if nothing else, just because you met them. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so the big benefits, I would say, I think you've touched on them all. Essentially, the first one is communication. If you're not a part of the conversation, your head's in the sand, you're not, you're, one, your voice isn't going to be heard. And two, things that may impact you, you may not learn about them quick enough. So that's on a local and national. So communication is just big. Uh, the second is education. I mean, both ACSA and ADI really push for a lot of education. They do webinars, they do workshops, they do you know, tons of continuing education outside of their own conferences. And the conferences had a, a ton of really good seminars. I think that every distiller should try and at least go, go to some of those every year for continuing education, even if you're already pretty well established. And then the last one is the lobbying effort. I mean, like, you know, like Colton said, they basically just saved a shit ton of money on a national scale for every producer in the United States. And that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for a unified front. If people weren't working together, this would not have happened. So if you don't give a little bit of money and it's, it's the money helps a lot, but more so than just the money, it's your voice. The fact that you can say a plus one to each of those organizations, you know, membership roles helps them on the lobbying side a lot. Well, and I mean, I, I can't speak to ADI as much, but with the ACSA, just getting involved as well, you can, you can make a huge effort and actually affect, you know, how the conversation goes and, what kind of lobbying, you know, is important to you? You know, there's always tax things, but there's other regulations that we need safety and, um, you know, just in general. That's a good promotion. Yeah, yeah and that's everything a good. Like it's that, like right? the secondary and tertiary groups yeah. that come out of these organizations that you can be involved in. I mean, you just would pop the light bulb in my head when you said safety. It's like, right, those whole committees, like those. It's it's like. I don't know, it's free consulting that you're getting by being part of this organization and you can have a say in it too. Right. Well, all these new distilleries starting up, they can do in-house education, but why reinvent the wheel? Go to the people that are experts, send your employees, even your, your weights, you know, your barroom staff, send them to some of these seminars, make them log on and watch these webinars. That will help a lot in terms of the overall education for everyone in your you know, under your employee, which is really important because safety is kind of a big deal with distilling. Because, I mean, hell, we've all seen the news. There are fires, there are things like that, even just in the last year or so. And that, that stuff mean, those, shouldn't be happening. Those, those sure are the big, those, those are the headlines. There's also, it's, yeah. we're just general <laughs> manufacturers, right? So we have cuts and bruises and accidents constantly. I, I like how you said when you make them watch it, though. I just imagine it's like a clockwork orange scenario. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's like the helmet that holds yeah. the eyelids open. I have one of those. I don't know <laughs> yeah, what I yeah. use it for. It's a 12-hour session of Colton talking <laughs> about OSHA safety. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. This podcast is boring. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of reasons. And, again, I hate to say it when it comes to the affordability side, but I understand a lot of small producers don't have a lot of funds just to throw around. They're really tight in terms of their budget, but this is one of those things that you're going to get a lot back for your investment. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it's as, as worth it as it could possibly be. Right. Exactly. And so, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys are both members of ACSA and ADI, right? So we are, yeah. and then Brian as a, I don't know, what vendor or 
What do you call uh, yourself? I don't see. So I guess tech, for ACSA, we are their endorsed trade publication. So we kind of co-sponsor each other. That's our current relationship, yeah. how that works. So we, you know, we ba- both endorse each other. We help each other out. We do a lot with them. I'm on a ton of their different committees, which again, I, I actually think that's important that Colton brought that up. If you want to become a member of ACSA, you can then volunteer for any of the committees. That's everything from technology to safety to uh, education, judging. So that's my relationship with ACSA. And then ADI, we're a member of ADI. And then also we work with them on a media kind of perspective as well. So one of the things we do with the trade associations as well as the individual state guilds is we give them basically a space in each publication to do an update. So ADI no charge basically sends us content that they're talking about what's going on with them and what they know about what's going on in the industry. And that's how they try and help educate and inform the industry. And we're just kind of the vehicle. So we work with ADI on that and we, we attend their stuff. We send them publications. We help them with anything they need. We try and cover their judging events and things like that as well. So we cover them journalistically as well as our members and support them. Discus, Discus is pure media. I, uh, I don't have, like, there's no media membership that I have with them. It's just essentially, they send me press releases. I communicate with their people that work on the journal side, uh, journalism side, and we do a lot of interviews and things like that with them. Okay. Yeah. See, I mean, I'm not actually a member of any of them, which is fun to say. (laughs) (laughs) Which is actually great though, because that gives you a little bit of distance and you can ask the questions. Yeah. I mean, technically I'm a member of Discus, but as I said, that's a, that's like a whole department in my company, which they're not going to put a guy like me in there. Uh, yeah, it's immediate. It's higher than a guy like me. So then, but I mean, ADI and ACSA, I have had experience with them in my previous life. Right. At smaller places. And I mean, it's a different community, but it's, I love it. You use the word a unified front. Like when push comes to shove, there isn't a difference. Right. No. And I think that's actually, this is getting a little outside the bounds of this conversation, but it's just quickly worth noting again, the federal excise tax, not to keep beating this dead horse. We, have, we do the, a federal excise tax podcast. <laughs> right, exactly. But the other thing that helped us get that through was the fact that not only were we unified with Discus, ADI, ACSA, but also the brewers and the winemakers yeah. at the very least weren't opposing it. Um, Colton, did they, were they technically on board? I believe they were, right? They got a little bit yeah, of relief both on of them, that. Both of them got some, some benefits from it. I'm not sure what the exact uh, specs were, but I think something with the wine, they got a tax break, used to be under 15, and I think they bumped it to 16 or, or maybe 14, yeah. 15, something like that. Something so. Like that. so because of the entire alcohol the entire alcohol beverage industry was unified. This was able to go through. If that doesn't happen, most of these things don't happen on a national scale. This is even like on a state scale. You know, I've California has had a lot of problems with trying to get certain, not just tax relief, but certain regulatory issues cleaned up from, you know, old post prohibition regulations. Wait, it's, it's a fucking it's a, hot mess. Yeah, really. It's insane. And it, but they had in the ocean. Soon the enough. wine producers in some, <laughs> some enough. cases actually resisted some of the things like uh, there was they wanted to be able to sell spirits at what was it? It was something like um, the farmer's markets. But the wine producers were kind of resisting that. And again, I'm speaking a little out of turn. Can, wi- can wine producers do that? Oh, yeah. So wine producers could absolutely sell it at uh, farmer's markets, but they didn't want spirits producers. And somehow they were able to settle. I don't know where it currently stands, but a few years ago they were able to get uh, a law passed so spirits producers could sell, but only if the base was made from wine. 
So essentially brandies. So yeah, brandy. so brandies could be sold, <laughs> but not like a whiskey. So again, and don't quote me on that right now. I believe some of those laws have changed. I oh, know, I'm taking it to the grave. Fucking <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, I mean, th- no, but uh, we experienced that in Oregon. I remember working with Chris at Spiritopia. Like, because uh, the farmer's market thing, and they were, yeah, there was wines there. We were trying to do it in Oregon, just, you know, hustle our liqueurs there. Right, because that's a good market. People come out there, they're like, oh, I want fresh fruit and a ginger liqueur. That sounds amazing, actually. Uh, but Yeah, it does. Yeah. Right, like, it, so, I mean, yeah, I could see that pushback, too. And it's, it's exposure of his product, like where he can get it and how he can stay afloat. I mean, that is a tiny operation. And, and is it on a boat? Because <laughs> that would be funny. I think only Jefferson's has been able to pull that off. No, we just still on the boat, but we age on land. <laughs> ah, Which is different up. than Rogue. Rogue over in Oregon, they just still on land, but they age at sea. The most most Oregon thing I have ever seen in my life. I was at Rogue at their Newport facility, and they have a dock out behind it. And so I just kind of was walking down the dock, and they have all these crab fishermen out there. And I was, like, peeking in the, the coolers, and every single one of them had the most, like, high-priced organic chicken that they were using as bait <laughs> for these crabs to catch crabs. <laughs> Oregon's a crazy place. <laughs> I've been to that same brewery. I, like, I remember the first time I went there, I was like, man, this place is not what I expected. Like yeah. you said, there's like a, the, a dock in the back, right? Like, <laughs> it's pretty wild. Organic awesome. chicken. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. do, you know what, they were good. They've been good for both industries, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. They've been good for craft brewing. Like, say what you want about Rogue Dead Guy. That beer was a gateway beer for a lot of people, right? Right? And then they were one of the first I remember seeing their spirits because they had the Grolsch cap tops, right? Do they still use that top? Uh, I think they do for their spirits. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. No, yeah. no, no. They have a um, a bottle cap, no? a crown a crown cap for their spirits. I think their spirits. They they may have they, they may switched. have the crown or the Wait, Brian thing. actually knows the answer. Yeah, you and I, I can talk about this all night, <laughs> yeah. but Brian clearly. Knows I'm happy to fucking watch you guys just <laughs> drift back and forth. <laughs> they have recently just changed their packaging. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 now a standard top. Oh okay, but they did remember. I'm right with that, right? They mm-hmm. did have a yeah, yeah, you are right. A flip top Grosch top is what I call it. I don't know. It's a and they top. had the crown though, right? They had the crown that you. Had I think to it's called a swing top, isn't it? You're the swing top. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fucking Grosch top. Eat my ass. <laughs> well, shit, I fucked that up. <laughs> So some of the other side organizations, um, one of the ones I thought of too is NAPCA. They've been around for a while. I don't, they I don't work think primar- I know them. They work primarily with control states. So they're kind of like an association that focuses on control states and essentially how to work with them, how to, I mean, they have a convention every year. Uh, I think if I recall right, one of the speakers at ACSA actually said ACSA's conference this year was the first time it was bigger than NAPCA. So NAPCA is pretty decent size. So a re- yeah. Around a thousand or less, which is again pretty good for the number of control states. I don't know a whole lot about them. We've just started working with them uh just in the last month or so. But as I get more information, I'll let everyone know. But they seem like a good group. They've been around a long time. And then what, there's the international uh IBD? Yes, yes, that the is Institute on our of Brewing list. Distilling. Yeah. IBD, yeah. I actually just met with them. They were in town for the Craft Brewers conference, so they came in and and took a tour. Nice. Really great guys. They're about to reamp their distillery program too, where 
That's it great. had been for years and years. It had been so scotch focused that you would look at the um, the info they had on their sort of online courses, and it would be all just this like single malt and you know grain alcohol for scotch blending thing. And I think they've realized they need to kind of expand and go go big picture. Um, the main thing, which I, I know, as soon as Cena gets back from playing with his pud. Um, that's penis for people on the west coast <laughs> i'm back but i'm still playing with my putt uh there the access that ibd gives you to research you know the cutting edge of beverage research is incredible if you you know if you have the money and it's not super expensive but if you have the money to pay to be a member do it it is worth it just the access to any any research project, really, that's kind of going on in any academic world is is posted on IBD. So yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and there, I mean, there's groups though too in IBD that you can get involved with the the member groups that you get involved with. That I mean, shit, there's like the LinkedIn group. The IBD, yeah. I get I get that message all the time, and yeah. it's talking about what's going in the industry. And there's a lot of I mean, there's a lot of brewing focus too. I heard you talking about you know just Scotch focus, but. Mm-hmm. It has grown significantly, I'd say. Yeah, it's it's Institute of Brewing and Distilling. I know we skipped yep, over yeah. that, but since I was, I mean, since you know, you started at Oregon State before I did, but even since I've started, it's grown a lot and changed a lot. The IBD and it's like in Oregon State, everywhere. I'm just uh, saying okay. the organization as a whole. Yeah, uh, I mean, Oregon State was. I mean, they proctored exams yeah. there, like our professor proctors proctored exams there. Paul Hughes, right? Like he was a. He had a big role in the IBD because he came from Harriet Wadden. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, there's a lot of benefit. I just think personally the best thing is the amount of research that you get from that. Right? And there's the, there's a Scotch Whiskey Research Institute. You're talking about really Scotch-specific. But there is a lot to be uh, – okay, so I'm a member of that, actually. That, so. so, yeah, right. There's another one I'm a member of. But that is because Good. of who I work for. And they – you know, one of the chemists there was a member of it. So I get – I get that research and that kind of access, and it's another good one. I mean, we're not going to talk on that too much because it's too specific, but talking about IBD, it's a similar scenario. It's good to consider. Yeah. And in terms of what's beneficial for distillers, producers to be a part of, you know, absolutely. I think we are all in agreement, you know, get a membership to ACSA, ADI, consider Discus, look at these other groups and organizations that may be beneficial to you. But I'd say even before them, top priority, and this is maybe just my own personal bias, but I think every single producer should pr- producer should look at their local state group. Mm. Does your state have a guild? If, if it does, join the guild. That's going to be, you know, support your local efforts first. And they're going to be the ones, especially if you're first starting up, who can give you some initial information on the pitfalls that you're going to run into. So education, lobbying, you know, always start local when it comes to politics. So... Join your state guild. That's money well spent. And if you don't have a state guild, get as many people together that may be doing distilling or talking about distilling and try and start one. So that's what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm very passionate about state guilds because I think they're the gatekeepers of a lot of knowledge, information, and community that is just starting to grow up now. I I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I um, I love that you say, like, start at the local government. And if it has not been exposed by this podcast already, I know very little about <laughs> government. 
<laughs> I just call it government. There is one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know a lot about exposure. <laughs> yeah. But in my defense, and here's why, so here, here's why I say it. So like a uh, little known fact about one Zeno is that my parents were Jehovah's Witnesses when I was a young kid. So when I kind of grew up, I didn't celebrate holidays, birthdays, and supporting any kind of government thing is a no-no. So like, now they figured out like, oh man, this shit is super crazy. I've just cut out all of our Jehovah's Witness <laughs> listeners, by the way. <laughs> all of the many. All of the, what are we getting? The listeners like, go after the, the listeners like, all, Christ, Zeno. The listeners like, all I want to do is knock on some fucking doors and slam some black tar heroin. And Zeno is really fucking it up for at any rate, like, so, like, I don't have exposure to those things. That's why, like, I hate birthdays and that kind of stuff anyways. But I know so little about it. And, like, the point that you're saying, like, oh, I've seen it now. You know, my parents didn't do that when I was a teenager. And, like, I grew out of it. But as an adult, I never really embraced it. Now that I'm in an industry where it's impactful to be involved in those kind of things, it's been ever more apparent that the local, right, like, and you start yeah. there. And how, you know, in Oregon, I got to see a lot because... You know, I I talk about Chris Beattie a lot because I love him. He's like a family member to me. But, uh, you know, he, I was, you know, you're not just an employee there. You're, you know, I was like the third employee there ever. So, you know, we, I got a lot of involvement in those organizations and I got to see, and he's totally transparent in what's going on. And I saw how it helped us grow our business to be involved yeah. in the Oregon Distillers Guild. And, and, you know, and then obviously KDA, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you could probably make an argument that the KDA, well, one, KDA is older than even ADI. Mm-hmm. KDA, Are they older KDA's than Discus, been around. too? I mean, they're... They might they be are. older than Discus, <laughs> but I don't know if that's true or not. But KDA is huge because their membership includes some of the biggest producers in the country, right. obviously, like Cream Bum Rory. <laughs> I don't know which which one we're going. Ah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> now we're, I feel we're like part the of listener the... figured it out by now. He's like he works for Wild Turkey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So KDA is massive, but they've also done a lot for safety, education, things like that. There, another thing we could talk about too is distilling trails. They're the ones that really kind of they do a shit ton on that. So distilling trails are a great way to market and get new consumers into your doors and work together with your other local producers. And it also it also is, really helps working with your your you know talk about local and state governments. If you're talking about a distillery trail, you're talking about tourism, which is really yes, great yes. when you go to the state house and say, "Hey, I need money for tourism. This is why this brings people in." You guys, don't, I mean, like how relatively new tourism is. Even at like uh, you know where I work, it, there's such an emphasis on it, and like in Kentucky and like KDA and like you're saying like I, we talked about the bourbon the bourbon trail right and shit Alyssa is a corporate audit accountant right you know what they did Friday to celebrate closing a job they toured distilleries <laughs> they got a mint julep tours and I was like oh where are you going I'm like yep I know someone at every one of those <laughs> distilleries right but yeah. like it's a they only went to cream bum tours yeah they yeah. just went to beam sun tour three times and they saw they're like look at this idiot and it was me circled the fucking parking lot looking in the mirror the entire like, time just punching the same numbers in one excel spreadsheet yeah I'm like I'm doing work I'm a scientist uh, science I, but in all seriousness like, like I think that a lot of the craft industry because I mean the older craft distilleries like uh you know horsehair is what 10 10 right 10 10 is really young 
is really young. Yeah. Like, I can't even take a yeah. 10-year-old out on a date. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's really young. So, <laughs> but my, my point of that is, is Brian's not laughing because that that's not disturbing. true in Washington. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Are you, yeah, are you exempt from real rules in Washington on that one? Not Eastern Washington, nope. at least. <laughs> yeah, Eastern Washington is it's kind of we're we're like Texas a little bit. I feel like it's the hills have eyes. It's just like, anyways. Uh, but like those young ones, you were born into that tourism was already in place. Right, like it started to get big. Yeah, and now like so yeah. now these places that opened up in the last five years, they're building tourism into their model. I can use. Uh, Chris Swastnick, right, from Ghost Coast, who I just saw on my honeymoon because I went down to Savannah. But, like... Oh, you and Chris on a honeymoon. Yeah, right. That's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> we just had sex. Um, yeah. I was going to make a ball tickling joke, yeah. but I thought it would be, like, a little too lowbrow. Thank yeah. you for Well, that. you can't go lower brow than mine. I mean, the only thing that's lower is my knuckles. Um... But like I mean, their whole and I and I love those guys. But like their whole they, and they told they told me that before they even opened up. Like their tourism yeah. because Savannah is such a tourist spot. But that that place yeah, what such was a, it was like thirteen million in yeah, tourism every in year Savannah. in Savannah. It's, it's like and when you hear the number, magic. you're like that can't be true. Fucking but nuts. yeah, but it, but, the, but so like the the point I'm making is uh, I'm going to bring it all back here now is that if you get in these local organizations, guess what tourism is good for. The local government, right? Like you're putting money back into that city. They're renting places. They're spending money there. They're going to see the history of that area. Shit, I'm guilty of that, right? I just did it on my honeymoon in Charleston and Savannah. I went to a distillery. I went to a distillery in both cities, and I went and saw historical sites in both cities. Yep. Actually, well, and you, I, I think ahead, that I, I think that Chris and Ghost Coast is actually the perfect example of why guilds matter because when we were talking to them before they opened a couple years ago they were all excited that georgia had just passed a law where it was going to allow them to give away a souvenir bottle on a tour so people would have to spend 30 40 dollars to take a tour to get a bottle and then by the time they opened they had worked with all the other georgia distilleries as a guild as a group and they now have it passed where they can do cocktails and they can do, you know, it's kind yeah. of, you know, it's not free range, but they have a lot of freedom to do, to, you know, operate their business and, and make real money. Right. Or, I love it. I'm going to pump them up too. It's like, you know, because Alyssa and I were talking about this is, I think it's pretty smart what they did. It's pretty clever. And I hope more distilleries do this. Is that like they really only have three products out there, like three SKUs out there on the market. They're aging, they're aging their whiskey and, in full-size barrels, just waiting on it, just letting it do its thing. But they have, like, 14 SKUs because they make a bunch of different liqueurs or rums or whatever they want to make just for their cocktail program. Yeah, And I think that was pretty clever. And they were able to do that because of that local government you know, lobbying that they did yeah. to get that all passed. And there's a lot of states that would not even be allowed to serve cocktails or drinks in a tasting room if it wasn't for the local guilt. A lot of these states started out with laws that essentially said you can't have a tasting room or you can, but you can only serve half an ounce to one customer once a year. Insane, you know, laws and rules and regulations. And a lot of those have been, you know, a lot of this deregulation has happened because of the state guild unifying and working together. 
So that's, I mean, that's the main reason right there. If you want to make sure you can actually have a profitable business in distilling, be a part of your local guild in that regard. And that's not even touching on the things like marketing. I, you know, as anecdotally, the New York Distilling Guild has done a really good job with their Empire Rye. So they've basically helped co-brand as a group the concept of an Empire Rye. They set up standards of production. You have to use these ingredients, so on and so forth. Colton, you may know what some of those are off the top of your head, but uh, essentially they're branding that now as a guild and they get the state on board to help with that as well. And the state basically is throwing free money at advertising things like that. Yeah, I mean, New York too. I was like, I went up to Kings County. I went to Brooklyn last summer. Yeah, because Alyssa and I went to Governor's Ball. I got to see Wu-Tang Clan and I stayed in Harlem and it was awesome. Anyways, by the way, I I just want to... You know, pull us off on a tangent. I sent both of you that email that the Wu Tang Clan is starting a vodka oh, yes. company in Australia. With uh, what were what were some of the? I think it was uh, a uh, obviously a cream vodka. Yeah, it's nothing to fuck with. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing to fuck with. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll have to look up what the other ones were, but yeah. you know. We're going to have to do an unbottling podcast. (laughs) Important shit. Important. We're drinking some We're talking about important things. I'm talking about more important things. So So when I went to Kings County, actually, I learned when I was up there how they, um, you know, if they use locally sourced ingredients, they get huge tax cuts. Their farm bill. Yeah, right. Their farm bill. So where the fuck did that farm bill come from? It came from a local organization. Yeah. Right. Lobbying with their local government. It had to have. Right. But like that is a huge deal. And now look yeah. at the explosion of distilleries in the state of New York right now. Like it's been, I think it's number expert. three. Yeah, right. Yeah. It used yeah, they, it used to be your were, state for a while. They're number one. No, your state's number so, one. Yeah, Washington. If if flip flop for a while, for Washington was number one, and then New York overtook us for a while, and then California was kind of eating at the heels. But California's had problems with the regulation too. But it kind of bounces back and forth between Washington and New York. Like, they're kicking ass. Right, and I think a, that has a lot to do with that. Would you call it the Farm Bill or something like that? It's, yeah, it's called the Farm Bill, and yeah, the New York Distillers yeah, Guild. I think, what are, what are they So the Farm, farm Bill is, when they implemented it, it's basically they give humongous, humongous, humongous tax breaks based off yeah. how much New York ingredients you use in your product. So, yep. And what was nice about it is it wasn't like, we pass it, you have to use 100% New York ingredients. No. They, they started building it up because they knew a lot of it was on the beer side where they knew there weren't enough hops to use 100% New York-grown right. hops. So I think right now, I want to say they're up to 70 or 80% right now. In the next two to three years, they'll have to go to 100 um, Washington State did something when they first started, too, where essentially they introduced a bill that if you used 51% Washington ingredients, you could buy the craft license, which was a few thousand dollars less. So it's not a huge deal, but it helped a lot of those early startups. I think so now would they, did those guys, that. did they start off the craft license and then move to a... Mm-hmm. So for example, Dryfly yeah. in Spokane, yeah. one of the bigger ones. That, well, I shouldn't say, they're not huge, but they're really well known. I think they're in 50 states. Sure, now. and they're an older They've one been, too, right? They were pretty well established. Yeah, yeah they, they started in, I think, 08. So they were the very first craft distillery in Washington state and they kind of helped change the law. So one that you could have a craft distillery in Washington cause you couldn't. So then part of that law was if you use 51% Washington ingredients, you got a much reduced rate of your actual distilling license, uh, directly North of the border from us in British Columbia. They have an interesting situation too, where just recently they passed a law 
where they have insane like state excise taxes. Um, if you use, it's a little more prohibitive in the fact that you have to use 100% BC ingredients. But if you use 100 BC ingredients, essentially you get a 100% excise tax reduction. So you just so put a bunch of poutine. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you ferment the hell out of some sweet poutine and fries. You get it straight from A&W, you pour it right in. It's fucking delicious. 100%, that's, that is insane. It's, it's stupid. Basically, again, this is pure anecdotally, but there was a distiller in the Okanagan Valley, uh, southern part of British Columbia. Essentially, they were making pennies per bottle for profit. It was like they were making four to five cents profit per bottle. It, was, it, it wasn't a business at that point. It was essentially a hobby. But by being able to do this, it completely changed their business model where they could actually make how do you convince it's, the government to give up all of their money? <laughs> that is, I mean, I get, I think, I think that's yeah. the thesis of our entire, you know, join an organization thing is at some point yeah. you can convince the government to give up all their money. You have to, you have <laughs> right. to convince them that it's beneficial in a different way. Yeah. Tourism. Yeah. So what they did is yeah. agriculture. Agriculture. So there essentially the argument, you get a guild together and you argue that this is a, again, that's look at New York. They called it the farm bill. The whole point is you're supporting agriculture. That's easy to convince politicians that agriculture is good and that you can increase, you know, the local economy. You can increase a positive benefit. You're not just trying to sell booze. You're trying to increase agriculture. So, yeah, there's a lot of arguments to be made there. Yeah, I mean, the guys at Kings County told me the exact numbers when I was up there. Which you like, will repeat on the podcast immediately. No, I don't. I mean, I don't. <laughs> yes, right now, verbatim. <laughs> you would remember. think that I would remember something like that, but I don't. I think it's worth mentioning, okay, I think we've made a pretty good case for why guilds are beneficial, but guilds are really hard to operate, especially for mm-hmm. distillers that don't have a lot of disposable income. And just honestly, you cannot run a successful guild on dues alone. You know, if you have a guild structure that's based on dues and you have... 10 distillers and you have it's a $200 yearly membership well, also, fee. you're also not going to get just, anything done just quick anecdote having a $200 guild membership is going to do nothing for you if you don't have legitimate substantial guild fees you guys won't be able to do so anything. what's the right price there's no i mean there's no right price but you have to you know you have to the right price is how much money does it take to actually sway your local or state government? If you can't, if you can't handle that, then you know you guys can sit around and, and drink and talk every week or month or whatever. But you're not really going to get shit done. Unfortunately, what happens in a lot of cases is the initial members, the first, you know, if it's a small group, three, five members to start something that's kind of your critical mass where you can actually start a guild, a nonprofit they're going to foot a lot of that initial bill for the first couple of years, and they're going to need to put out more than a couple hundred bucks. Um, it, it's just, it's the nature of it. It's one of the, it's the cost of doing business when you're one of the first in a state. You have a lot of benefits because you get a lot of free PR. You get a lot of press if you're doing it right. I mean, if you're the first distillery in a state, you're going to get a lot of good local press if you really leverage it. But the trade-off is you've got to help pay to start some of these things. If you don't, you're not benefiting. And you're also, again, you're not the voice behind it. Um, what you can do is you can set up tiered structures. Uh, I believe Kentucky does this, where depending on the size of the distillery, you pay a different membership fee. I could be wrong on that. I know certain no, states. No, we, we do that. That's right. We do that. Yeah. Okay. So that's I one mean, way to kind of balance to. it out. How do, so we, you, how do we have a state guild where Dickel and Jack Daniels pays the same fee as us? I mean, I guess we right. could, but... 
again, nothing would Doesn't get make done. Sense. <laughs> right. So, but to back up, what can, so the question is, what the hell can we do to raise funds to actually be successful and elicit some sort of change? The best way to do it is things like tasting events. So, and really, I think Oregon was one of the first taste. to do this. They did ta- toast. toast. It yeah. was toast. Yeah. So they did toast. And taste toast. I think it was... <laughs> The yeah, stroke, and, uh, uh, I'll actually give credit to our buddy, uh, our buddy at Aria Gin, Ryan uh, Sankey. Yes, they they brought him on as the executive director. He basically was a volunteer position, but they brought him on at the time to be ED, and so he st- kind of helped lead up the charge on toast. And that was basically enough money generated in a year to make sure they could actually hire lobbyists and do things. So every year, it kind of just was this. You know, it, it was. You know, wet snow rolling downhill. It just got bigger and bigger. So Toast funds almost everything Oregon does. Same thing with Washington State now. Washington has proof, and they are able, they were just recently in the last couple of years able to hire um, an executive director. So if you want to have like a successful guild, some of the basic uh, starting points are get a bunch of people together, get a nonprofit, make a board of directors, try and do some sort of tasting event, maybe partner with a local event company who can help you run it and organize it. And they get a piece of it and then they do a profit share with you. You then take that money, roll it into the next year till you get enough money to hire like an executive director who can then ideally pay for themselves by doing more events. And then eventually, if you get big enough, you can do things like uh, what are they called? They're called associate memberships. So a lot of small guilds are doing things where like a vendor wants to come in, say a glass company wants to get in front of all your guild members, which is really common. And it's actually really smart of them as a vendor. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> tops, whatever. Tops. <laughs> I'm glad it took you a minute. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, they will come in and say, I want some sort of presence in front of your membership. Can I pay you? And they'll say, yeah, you buy an associate membership. Again, sometimes those are tiered. But essentially, that way you're getting vendors to give you money. You give them a little bit, maybe a five-minute presentation before one of your guild meetings, or maybe you just put them in your newsletter. And that's, again, additional revenue that I mean, or or they help sponsor, you know, uh, tasting events and consumer events and things. That, you yes. Know. Yeah. And those so, are bigger ticket so items. So you as Artisan Spirit Magazine, how, what is your involvement in Washington State, like in your guild? So, so I actually work with all the state guilds. Any, any guild that's around, and if I'm not working with you, reach out to me. But essentially, the, the first thing we always do is, again, that um, quarterly update. Any state guild in the country gets a chance to communicate with the rest of the industry through that. And we do it for free. It's basically we give you like 400 words to say what the hell is going on in your state so they can we can all communicate as a country on the guild scene. And then we personally, anytime someone calls me up who's in a startup guild or wants to get going, I basically give them free consultation and give them some documents on how to start a a nonprofit, give them some ideas, the stuff we just talked about. I basically just feed them some so of that stuff. So from now on, you'll just let's send them a link to this episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I'm just going to send them that. I'm going to ask them to excuse the penis jokes and then focus on the quality uh, education. You guys, I'm just waiting for the call. They're like, Zeno, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is a call I've gotten more than once. <laughs> and then, so on Washington State, what we usually do is we try... I, I, I go, mean, you live there, though, so meetings. you have... I hate to say it, you have a horse in that race. Like, right, I'm going to work right. with the state that I'm going to buy and make whiskey in. I honestly, I should probably have a better presence with the Washington Distillers Guild, but I go to some of their meetings and we support them in terms of like their event. 
I will give them like basically I donate some advertising or I help promote it, some of the newsletters and things like that. So basically that's my goal is if you, if it's a nonprofit, I try and help it as much as I can. Um, we are this just, I was in Rochester a couple of weeks ago for, uh, in an international tasting Rochester, event. New York? They, they, yeah. Yeah. Rochester, Rochester New York. They, they, Rochester. Did you have a garbage plate, you have a garbage plate event. and Abbott's custard and with the beans no, no, and the sausage and all the ridiculous that's, things. That's, Nick Tahoe's garbage that's plate the garbage is where it's at. Are at. But there's <laughs> Abbott's custard. They're, it's frozen custard. Oh, it's so good. They have this chocolate almond thing. It's, my mom lives in Rochester in Colton. I'm getting I fatter listening. A couple hours away. Yeah. So. <laughs> they have great Italian food, too. Yeah. Anyways, go on. So Rochester. Rochester. Yeah. Anyway, so they were a nonprofit group that the New York Distillers Guild brought in to help them do an international tasting event, or I should say a judging event. It was a judging event. And the goal was it was charitable. So they took all the extra booze afterwards and they donate them to a charity that then is able to do events of their own and raise a lot of money. So this event was able to raise like a quarter million dollars in charitable contributions. So again, and all we did for that is I attended, I helped promote it, things like that. So that's what I try and do with the guilds is we just try and promote the hell out of it. Which is, which is what they need. I mean, the more press and exposure they get, the easier it is for them to lobby for whatever makes their particular state's laws easier on them. So. Tennessee and cross Tennessee's has grown a lot. Like I mean, our see our our guild is great. It's it has done amazing things for the distilling industry, for temp, the Tennessee distilling industry. The reason I try right. I'm trying to not talk about it so much is because we have a incredibly unfair advantage, where we have Jack Daniels and George Dickel as members. I have so yeah, I have like KDA. our dues are humongous, uh, you know. Like for them, uh, they're humongous, but but they're actually they they are really active. Like we have um, both of them come to almost every meeting. Like they're there, they're active, they're participants. They get why it's good for for Tennessee to have you know the the moonshine distilleries up in the legal moonshine distilleries up in um, East Tennessee to why they need more tourism and how it will help them down in, in southern Tennessee and, and things like that. So I, I know that, you know, not every state has that, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Like, there's no big mass, massive distillery in Maine that's going to have, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of advantage. But What's Indiana's like? Does Indiana have a guild? They, they do. definitely have they a do. guild. They uh, do. I believe the current president is um, Jeff Wislich yeah? from Cardinal the, Spirits. Is he the president? Really? It's That's Jeff? funny because yeah. I remember yeah. when they started Jeff their guild, awesome. he was uh, he was at an event with us, all of us, <laughs> and he wasn't there to vote because he was at an ACSA event. <laughs> He's like, God yeah. damn it, they yeah, really Jeff screwed is an awesome me guy. over. <laughs> They're a super small guild, but, I mean, again, they've got, you know, the Hubers at Starlight. They've yeah. got Wislich. They've got a few others. But, again, that shows you don't need a ton. Having a... a a benefactor is nice. Um, but even if you have a ton of distilleries, there can still be problems. A cautionary tale is California. California has two guilds that kind of compete and dilute each uh, other, which is problematic. They, they have their artisanal or their like artisanal California distillers guild, something like that, which is their main bigger guild. But then they also have a San Diego guild, which is kind of the greater San Diego area. And they don't necessarily communicate a lot. That may have changed. Is San recently, Diego really, really affecting the rest of the state. And does like does legislature does a place that like much? Gallo get involved in that? See, there you go. That that's part of the problem is there's those kind of questions and uncertainty because there's two guilds, and I don't have the answers. Well, to fuck! That. Why do we you know have what? you? That's something you have to care. Why, why are you? <laughs> I don't do shit. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know what? Fuck you. I'm signing off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. God, you're carrying all of us. No, but I think in I mean, life, I, I didn't think mean even for even for the smaller guilds, because you're so pretty. That, that's where places like Tennessee can be helpful. Is you may not have that, you know, financial advantage of just massive distilleries involved in your state, but you can show. We obviously we have numbers that we can share that are, you know, just tourism numbers and and um, economic yeah. numbers and, and everything. Like Data. I know we we got some money from the state just because of small distilleries building out in um, poor communities that, you know, helps those communities build. So we got some money for that. It's a great right? point. So Grant money. Yeah, oh, grant yeah. money is, is always a big thing. It's hard to fill out a grant, but if you do it right, uh, man, can you, know you what? get some it, good that, money. Learning how to write for grants yeah. is a – that skill is something I wish I had. <laughs> Both of my parents are grant writers, and yeah. I, I could I can barely write a sentence. So. Chris Beatty, I can barely speak a sentence. Um, when I brought up Indiana, though, you guys know what I was getting at, right? Well, yes, yes, but I don't think that they're part of the the guild. <laughs> they are not. So they, the one that is we're not naming specifically, um, they tend to be kind of insular. They do, they don't even do a whole lot of like traditional marketing. They, ne- they were never a part of Tales of the Cocktail. They didn't like to promote certain things like that. They do a lot of their own thing. They're, they yeah, but they kind of make amazing beat. liquid that's far-reaching. That helps. Yeah. That's, that's, why, that's why they don't need to advertise like most other places do. Is yeah, they're I think they're, they're doing enough. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we could have an entire podcast just about them. And maybe we should at some point. Yeah, but I'm we can sure never No, but honestly, name. honestly, I like, don't we'll think... Do, I don't no. do a Maggie Campbell podcast, but only talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, we should actually wrap up. Yes. We've been talking yeah, for yeah, over yeah, an hour on good. this one. Let's so. do uh, closing thoughts and takeaways. Okay. Well, hold on. I have one more thing before we no, wrap up. No, no more things. <laughs> no, fuck you. No, you just brought up having that having this unnamed entity, Maggie in Campbell, Indiana. Maggie Campbell. We're just Indiana. gonna call that. She's a person. We're just She's gonna, gonna call an entity. that entity Jesus. Maggie Campbell from now on. I wouldn't want them in the. Well, not me, but I don't. I don't necessarily think they. They don't represent the same. <clears throat> the, they don't need the same things out of um, what the guild needs. They don't need cocktails in, in their tasting room. They don't need tourism. They don't need like all those things that help us as small distilleries grow, where they're just you know. I guess this a is big our facility entity. Our macro micro. Yeah. Differentiation. Yeah, right but they're here. even a different. They're I mean they're even mac, They're double macro. I'll give you double They've macro. They've macroed your macro. You just coined the stupidest <laughs> phrase <did>. ever. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck, that's a thing oh, now. listener, I'm sorry. <laughs> double macro. <laughs> oh, my God. That should be, that's your closing thought, is double macro. That's, that's Brian, double macro. do you have anything that's better than double macro? <laughs> um, no, my closing thoughts are essentially guilds and organizations are incredibly important to this industry if we don't have them and we don't support them someone else is going to do it so be there and put your voice to it and try and back it because again if you don't you know you don't know where it's going to go you don't know what they're going to get accomplished and there's a lot of success again fet it wouldn't exist without the help of all of these individual groups organizations guilds they all help make this happen so do that so you can save money 
That sounds that sounds great. I mean, my takeaway isn't that much different, except for you know I put all that personal stuff in it. But like how ignorant I am to what local government means, and I'm like, what you guys, you know, that's the best thing about this podcast is it's really a self serving thing. Is that I learn because I'm an idiot. Uh, I learn about how the government works, <laughs> and no, I, I think that you start small, and you know you, you go up like you're not gonna go. You wouldn't be marching next week lobbying for making the FET, you know, not having an end date unless these local guilds were in place. So I think, I, I think that a place to start that really resonates with me, what I've come, come away with this podcast from is like, hey, man, if I'm a, I'm a small distiller, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to push the limits of my state as much as I can and then grow it out. Right. Right, you know, so yep. I'm I'm at a totally different aspect from it, and have a totally different point of view. Where I'm like, okay, I'm the biggest in the country, so I I don't really work like that, and it's all outside of me. But if if you're in a small guy, like how you're going to have an impact, you can have an impact, and I've seen that impact at the smaller places in the local government. Sorry, rambled. Edit right, so all I, of that. I do have an actual. Double. Double macro. <laughs> At least I didn't say double macro. I do have an actual closing. <laughs> no, it's double macro. No, God damn it. Fucking done. Don't ruin that. Extra double We're just going to edit it. Say what you want. It's not going to make it. The I'm not, I just was really excited about the local, like you, what you were saying, Brian, and like all your experience with the local guilds and what I've seen in Tennessee and what I've seen in Oregon. Yeah. And I don't have a big part in KDA, but like all that stuff. I'm like, holy shit, this is really impactful. And, uh, and it's at a level that you don't think it's going to be impactful. So it's surprising. Colton, what the fuck do you want to say? Double macro. Just uh, quadruple macro. <laughs> <laughs> no, most, most of this podcast has, has been very, um, very geared towards distillery owners. And like, this is what organizations can do for your distillery. I am not a distillery owner and just as... <clears throat> for me, what ACSA has done and me being a part of ACSA and just being like an employee at a distillery, but being able to, you know, join committees and, and enjoy, you know, getting to meet people and getting myself out there and getting to, you know, gear the conversa- conversation towards something that helps my distillery, obviously, but also helps me and helps me understand and everything. Like, I don't want people to come away and think, oh, if someone's listening to this and they're they're an employee and they're not a distillery owner thinking they don't have a part in an organization joining ADI or ACSA or you know writing discus and seeing if they have a place for you or whatever i mean being able to do that gives you gives you a huge advantage just in in terms of the community and just brings you up yeah and you're, and, you're and well said. Double macro. Ocho macro. <laughs> Ocho macro. <laughs>